Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible and turn to the book of Malachi. If you need a Bible, there's one under a seat somewhere nearby you. Uh, book of Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament, and so uh, you turn to the New Testament, go one page back, and you will be in the book of Malachi as we begin a six-week series today uh, through this book. And as you turn there, uh, let me just state something that you um, might know or might be news to you, but um, uh, one thing that's really important for us to understand and walking in relationship with Jesus is that uh, there's a scary place we can get to uh, if we're not careful where we're doing all kinds of external religious activity. We're going to church, we're going to small group, we're, 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 we're checking all the boxes of the actions that Christians should do. And if, we're, if we don't watch it, there's a scary place we can get to where we're doing all of the external religious actions of what we think it means to be a Christian with a heart that's so far from the actions that we're doing, with a heart that's so numbed out, with a heart that's so divorced from the worship we're taking part in. Uh, to say it like this, we have hit a danger zone when we are very religious for God externally, but have lost the joy of relationship with God internally. And this is why I'm so excited to begin a six-week series today through the book of Malachi. And um, uh, why is Malachi uh, set up to be a perfect study to help us um, get away from just the, the external religious activity of what we think it means to be a Christian back to a love relationship from the heart, full of joy, walking with Jesus. The book of Malachi is really structured for this. It's structured for uh, six wake-up calls to revive our faith. As we walk through each of these weeks, these are six wake-up calls to revive our faith, to bring the relationship, to bring the joy, to bring the heart back into the walk with God and the worship that we partake in. And um, let me just kind of, I think anytime you open to an Old Testament book, and especially maybe to one of the prophets, and if you've ever been like, you know what, I'm going to start studying a prophet. And you get about a paragraph in and you're like, yeah, I'm lost. Like, what, what is going on here? What is he saying? What is all this imagery that he's using? And so uh, we just need to understand from the outset today that if we're going to understand the parts of Malachi, what we're studying each week, we need to have an understanding for kind of the whole picture of what is going on in the book of Malachi and what's the background and the foundation that this book is built on. And so uh, if you will, give me some a little bit longer introduction time today because we need to lay a foundation not only for this sermon, but for the book of Malachi as a whole. And anytime you're studying a book, especially in the Old Testament and especially a prophet, you need to understand where that prophet falls in Israel's history. And so I know you're all really excited. We're going to do a timeline of history. Ready for this, right? Um, let me start just by talking about um, Israel's history from when they became a kingdom. Uh, there comes a point in Israel's history where they ask for a king. 
and they're, they're asking for a king. It's really kind of a smack in the face to God who's been serving as their king. But God uh, allows them to have a king, and the first king of Israel is a guy who totally looked the part. He was tall, and he was handsome, and he looked like a king should look. He would have been on the cover of, like, GQ magazine, and his name was Saul. And it starts out okay with Saul, but it ends very badly with Saul as king. On the heels of Saul comes a guy that even if you're newer to the Bible, you've probably heard of, a guy by the name of King David. King David begins to rule the nation of Israel, and God's blessing is on the nation. We certainly have heard and know of David's shortcomings and his shortfalls, but for the most part, David was a man after God's own heart in which the blessing of God was on the nation of Israel. Uh, King David had a son, and his name was Solomon. Uh, The Lord, again, you're seeing um, uh, just a great blessing on the kingdom of Israel throughout much of the reign of Solomon. The kingdom is flourishing. Solomon's wisdom is allowing it to grow and develop. But then something happens when the kingdom comes to Solomon's son. Uh, the kingdom is, not, is divided on whether Solomon's son should take the throne. And for the first time, we now have a divided kingdom in the history of Israel. You have the northern tribes who separate from the southern tribes. And you now have a divided two kingdom, two kings over the nation of Israel. And this begins really a downward, downward spiral in Israel's history. Fast forward to a really ugly period. Uh, the Babylonian Empire would come in and they would completely ransack both kingdoms. Uh, they would carry off many of the Israelites into captivity. And this is just a. Uh, uh, an extremely depressing time in the nation's history. Uh, The homeland is left in like rubble and ruin. Much of the people have been carried off into the Babylonian Empire. But then something happens. God uses another foreign kingdom, the Persians. They overtake the Babylonians, and God begins to give favor for the Israelites in the eyes of some Persian rulers. And slowly by slowly, waves of Israelites are heading back to the promised land for the rebuild. And now I want to zoom in on this portion of Israel's history called the rebuild because this really sets the stage for where we find the book of Malachi. Y'all with me still? When the rebuild begins to happen, there's kind of three waves, and you can read about this, and here's some homework for you. Go read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah this week because that will help set the stage for for what we're going to talk about in the book of Malachi. Uh, A guy named Zerubbabel, love that name. Uh, He kind of heads back with the first wave of Israelites, and they begin to rebuild the temple. And you can imagine how much excitement there is about the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel heads back. They begin to rebuild the temple. And then Ezra heads back, and he goes back to try to restore the Torah or the law and the community back to the people of God here in Jerusalem. And then uh, many of us know the story of Nehemiah, who Nehemiah would then come back and he'd begin to lead the charge uh, of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Now, the thought is, we're going to go back. We're no longer in captivity. Uh, we're, we're rebuilding the temple. We're rebuilding the walls. We're literally cleaning up the rubble and the pieces of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And, and, and then it's going to be awesome. 
And, and God's going to come back in power. I mean, that temple's going to go up, and His glory's going to come down, and it's going to be sweet. And physically, things started to get rebuilt. But it's like, where's the glory of the past? Where's, where's that thick presence of God we heard about when David was ruling and when Solomon was ruling and what the people of Israel can't see? They grow so frustrated with God. God, where are you? But what they're blind to is that though the mess of the rubble was rebuilt, the mess of their hearts had not been fixed. Enter Malachi. It's been about a hundred years, roughly the best we can figure out, about a hundred years since the rebuild has happened that God is going to tap Malachi on the shoulder and say, I have some words for my people. Go speak what I have to say. And the book of Malachi is really structured very simply. Throughout the whole book, there are what scholars call six disputes, what I'm calling for us six wake-up calls. And here's how we'll know as we study the book of Malachi that a dispute has begun. They all start with a very similar formula. Look in your Bible. Look at like verse 2, for example. It says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Every one of the disputes throughout the book of Malachi is going to begin like this. They're going to go, God's going to say something. Hey, people, my people, Israel, let me tell you something. And then the people, God's people, are going to slap him in the face and go, really, God? Really, you say that? Well, let me dispute you on that claim. And then God's going to prove to him why what he said is true. There's six disputes, and we're calling these for a six-week series, six wake-up calls for us. What are these wake-up calls? And don't feel the need to get all this down on paper. You'll see these each week. But wake-up call number one that we're going to look at today is this. Wake up to God's covenant love for you. There's a banner over the entire book of the love of God for faithless, loveless, heartless people. And the first wake-up call we'll get into today is just wake up to God's covenant love for you. Wake-up call number two that Pastor Joe will preach us through next week is this. Wake up to God who's worthy of the best of our worship. And that's going to get into some really great things for our own worship and what that looks like. Wake-up call number three. Wake up and be faithful to God in your marriage. God has some stuff to say in this book about what's going on within marriage relationships among his people is applicable for us here today. Wake up call number four. Wake up to God who refines us for righteousness. Number five, wake up and give God what is already his. And wake up call number six, wake up and fear the Lord. And so six weeks, we're going to walk through these. And now, um, here's the question. Often, not only do we struggle to understand what the prophets are saying and, 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 and like, okay, what does this say here? I don't even know what he's saying. Uh, beyond that, we can often struggle to understand, okay, but how does what a prophet is saying to the people of Israel thousands of years ago really apply to my life as a Christian here and now today? And I just got to tell us something. This book for American Christians, for us in this room, is so doggone applicable. Like, I'm going to give you a warning here in a little bit because of how applicable this is. 
and the warning is going to be like, curl your toes in because our toes are going to get stepped on. But I want to just pull out, maybe for some of us in here, how applicable this, how applicable this will be. If you're here and you find yourselves in a dry season in your faith, and we've all been there, you know the joy of the intimate walk with Jesus, and then you know the seasons where you just feel like it's dry and desert-like. Uh, was last fall, fall of 17, um, the church was thriving, and God was just doing amazing things, and my heart was just like shriveling and dying is what it felt like. And I had called a guy who does a lot of counseling with pastors, and um, I met him up at a Ted's Montana Grill on the north side. Had an amazing, like, bison or something while we were there. But, and I'm like, okay, dude, here's the deal. Like, as people describe our church, they're like, it's thriving, it's growing, it's on fire, it's this. But if I could look you in the eye across the table and describe my heart to you, I'm, I'm withering and I'm dying and I'm depressed and I'm, and I'm like, what is going on? And right there, just with the, the precision that God gives a great biblical counselor, he just filleted my heart right there and he just gently said, can I show you some things that I think God might want to show you? All of us have been in seasons like that, right? We're dry, we're withering up, and I'm just telling you, right now, if that's you, I would make the commitment to come hear every single word that God has to say in this book for you if you find yourself in a dry season. Some of it will be extremely hard to hear, but it may be the exact medicine and remedy that God needs you to hear to pull you out of the dry and desert wasteland that you find your faith in. Others of us in here feel like you're on the hamster wheel of religious activity. You're just doing, doing a lot, doing a lot. Go, go, go. Doing so much for God. Look how much I'm doing for God. God, look at you. See me? Doing so much for you, and you're just on the hamster wheel of religious activity, and you're going, and you're going, and you're going. But if you stop for a moment, if you just stopped and you got off the hamster wheel, you'd go, but man, my, my heart is so far my heart is so far from all this stuff that I'm doing. And here's how I know, and maybe it's similar for you or not. Because my job is ministry, I'll know when I'm on the hamster wheel of ministry activity with a heart that's really far from God based on what the attitude of my heart is after I get out of a ministry setting. So, like, I'm sitting there with someone, hey, you know, I'm, let's work through this. Let's, let's work. Yeah, come on, God can do this. And then I get in my car, and I'm like, idiot. I never do that to any of you, by the way, okay? <laughs> but, like, I know it's time for me to get a vacation, to go get quiet with the Lord. When I am lacking love for people and love for God, when I'm not face-to-face -face with them, when I'm trying to play a part face-to-face, -face, and yet when I get in my car, get behind closed doors, I'm just so annoyed and frustrated with people. And if you find yourself on the hamster wheel of a lot of religious activity right now, good things. They look like good things on the surface, but like when you get it with the quietness of your own heart, you're just like angry and frustrated and worn out and paid. Like this book is for you. A call back to heartfelt, joyful, walk with Jesus in relationship, love for God that spills out in love for people. And I'm just telling you, I need that slap in the face, wake-up call sometimes. If you're here and um, there's some of us here who we've never even known a time where we've walked in relationship with Jesus. 
And like my biggest burden is for those of us who've gone, gone to church, check, done the, the Awana thing as a kid and all of these things. And for you, faith in Jesus just equated to go to church and do the things Christians should do. And this whole time, you're like, I've been doing all these things, but there's like this power that I feel like devoid of, lacking, like my heart's divorced from it. This series, and even today, may be the time you truly begin to enter into legitimate love born from the heart relationship with Jesus Christ who then your work for him, your ministering for him, your serving of him is birthed out of the love that you have for him instead of you trying to do things to earn that love. I just, I hope this series will serve you well. And then I want to speak um, real quick. Junior hires, high schoolers in the room. Look at me, all right? Parents don't listen, okay? The statistics tell us a fair number of you will walk out on the church as soon as you taste your first real um, freedom in life. Here's why that happens. If for you, faith with Jesus, Christianity, just equals getting up to go to church on a Sunday to appease mom and dad, if for you, faith in Jesus or Christianity equals like you're just supposed to be moral and be religious and do religious things, the first taste of freedom you'll get, you'll bolt. You will. Because you'll be like, what was the point of what we were doing? We just like, just get up and go to a religious service. The first taste of freedom you'll get if you see Christianity as just do these religious exercises and routines. You will, you will bolt on this so fast, the first taste of freedom you get. Here's why this next six weeks could be the most pivotal part in your life. Yes, even as a junior high or a high schooler. If you will listen to the Lord in this book, and if you will hear from him, that God's not just after religious duty. He is after your heart and he wants to be the king of it because he loves you and he wants to walk intimately in relationship with you because he loves you. And yes, even when you really blow it and even when you really screw up, he still wants you and he still loves you. And if you will taste and know the love of God in your heart right now, the first taste of freedom you'll get, you'll say, let me find the best church I can be part of. Why? Because I love Jesus. Why? Because I know he loves me. Listen to me. I'm passionate about this because I was the junior high or high schooler. Like, yeah, go to church. Yeah, do this, do this stuff. May your faith be revived and awakened to a God who deeply, deeply loves you. And your life will never be the same. And so... This is where we're going in this book. Each week for us, a wake-up call. Each week, a wake-up call that's going to go, if your faith is dry and dusty and you're just doing stuff, but your heart's devoid, devoid of love and divorced from what you're doing, wake up. Wake up to a God who loves you. Wake up to a God who wants more than just your religious activity. Wake up to the God who wants to walk intimately with, in relationship with you. And so, um, before we get into wake-up call number one, 20-minute introduction. Good job, Brock. Um, 
I want to give a warning, and I want to lead us through a prayer. Before we jump into the details of this book, I want to give a warning, and I want to lead us through a prayer together. The warning is this. This book will be convicting. This book will get all up in our grill. This book will step on our toes. Man, as I've been studying it in preparation to begin this study together as a church, I've just been like, there are parts of it that, like, honestly, like, I'm not scared to preach much. Like, you know, it just, it's like, hey, that's what it says. There are, there's stuff that God says to his people in this book that I'm like, oh. And yet God said it. So it's worthy of us studying it, Right? But there's going to be moments where, like, again, you're going to run into me during the weekend and go, Pastor, that was so convicting. Listen, these aren't the words of Brock trying to convict people. This is the word of God trying to convict all of us and encourage and rebuke and call us out of heartless, duty-driven religious activity back to heartfelt, joyful walk relationship with him. Cool? That's the warning. You good with that? Now here's the prayer. At the end of Psalm 139, we find these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So this is the point in a sermon where I usually just stop and I pray for us and over us. But I just wanted to start this series, give two, three minutes of just total silent time for you to pray through this right here. And you really mean what you're saying. God, really, search me in this series. Search me. Show me what's in my heart, God. Like that skilled biblical counselor sitting at Ted Montana Grill who just said, Brock, let me show you. Say, God, take the scalpel and show me. Take the scalpel and and fillet my heart right. And yes, it will hurt. A scalpel always hurts when it cuts, but a scalpel in the hand of a skilled physician is an instrument that cuts with a purpose to heal. That's what I think God will do in our hearts in this series. So just ask him, Lord, show me what's there. Show me the grievous ways in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting by showing me what you want to show me through this series. So uh, two minutes on the clock. Silent prayer, you pray through that in your heart, and then we'll jump into God's word here.
Oh, so Lord, now come and use just these four chapters in your word over the next six weeks to speak the wake-up calls into each of our heart, Lord, that we need. Oh God, some weeks we will squirm under the conviction of your word, but Lord, would we just settle in and would we whisper to you, Lord, use your scalpel, use your scalpel, use your scalpel. Lord, would we not try to run away from those things you want us to sit in conviction under? God, would we see them as your good graces to us to make our hearts more like Jesus? God, would you give us great understanding by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand an Old Testament prophet who at times, Lord, because we think with such a contemporary mind can be hard for us to understand. God, would your spirit illuminate your word? Would it help us understand your word? And then most importantly, once we understand clearly your word, would you apply it so that we can live in accordance with your word? God, would you do a great work through a small book of your word to just revive faith, to pull us from dry desert seasons, to help us understand that it's not just about all the stuff we can do for you, but you want our hearts in accordance with it. Lord, to show some that maybe they've never even had legitimate faith in you and they've been doing a lot of religious activity, but they need to know Jesus, your son. God, please, would you work miracles in our midst through these six weeks? God, would you completely blow us away by what you want to do in our hearts? God, go to work, please. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wake up call number one today. We jump right into the beginning of the book. Wake up to God's covenant, faithful, steadfast love for you. Malachi 1, verse 1. The oracle or the message of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Malachi's main name means messenger. So a message from the messenger. I have loved you, says the Lord. And now, just stop right there because um, we have to understand that the very opening statement, once we get past kind of the header that says, hey, uh, an oracle or a message from, to Israel from Malachi, the very first thing God has to say is, I've loved you, says the Lord. This is a banner over the first wake-up call, the first section of the book, but this is a banner over the entire book. The book of Malachi, folks, we got to remember it because when we're in the midst of it and we're really convicted and we're like, God just said a really hard thing to us right there, we have to remember the banner over the book is about a God who loves his people with a covenant, steadfast, faithful love. He looks at them, and the very first thing he wants them to hear is this, I have loved you, says the Lord. When you were faithless to me and arguing and bickering and the kingdom divided, I loved you. And when the Babylonians showed up and they carried you off into captivity, I loved you. And right now, when you are just heartlessly going through religious routines, bringing sacrifices, but your heart is so far from what you're doing, he looks at them and he says, I love you. I have loved you, says the Lord. The response of the people, 
But you say, how have you loved us? Hear, hear that. Hear the tone of that. It's really important. Their tone right now isn't, hey, we just, like, how have you loved us? Like, can you tell us? Can you show us? That's not the tone. The tone is, really? Really, God? How have you loved us? That's the tone of the people here. Why? Why? This is the tone of a people with dreams deferred. This is a tone of a people disenchanted with where they found themselves. This is the tone of a people who, as we said at the outset, had high expectations. We're going back to the promised land, and we're rebuilding the temple, and, and Ezra's going to restore the Torah, and the walls are going to be rebuilt, and then God's glory is just going to come down, and it's going to be like in the days of David and in the days of Solomon, and the splendor of Israel will ripple effect across the globe, and, and the, the, the thick presence of God has not come back on the people because their hearts are so far from but they don't see their own heart. They're just pointing the finger at God and going, God, really? How have you loved us? Yeah, 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 some rubble, some rubble has been rebuilt. Some bricks have been stacked on top of each other. But how have you loved us? Um, let's understand a bit more of this time Malachi writes in. It's been about a hundred years since the beginning of the physical rebuild of Jerusalem. I want to show you some pictures. If you followed on the news over the last couple of years of the atrocity in the nation of Syria, and just if you've seen the pictures of the rubble, I want you to see some of these because I want these to inform and give us a feel for where Israel was as the people came back to rebuild. And in each one of these pictures, you're going to see building rubble, but in each one of these pictures, you're going to see people in the midst of the rubble. Because it's one thing, just take Syria as a contemporary example, it's one thing to see the buildings rebuilt. My question as you look at these pictures, how long does it take for lives to be rebuilt? It's one thing to put your house back together. How long does it take to repair a heart from that? And so though Malachi is roughly 100 years since the rebuilding efforts began, uh, these people's hearts are still a wreck. These people's hearts are still so far from God, and they are questioning God's love towards them based on the current circumstance and situation in which they find themselves. They don't feel, they don't sense that thick presence of God, and they can't see that their own, the doing of that is their own heart position towards God. And these people, God goes, I love you. And these people go, really, really? Prove your love to me. And they're saying that back to God back based on the circumstances, the current circumstances they find themselves in life. Now, we can uh, be hard on them or we can realize we do the exact same thing. Do you know that I hardly ever struggle to question God's love when my life is good and it's full of blessing and like everything is happening just like my five-year plan like worked, which has never happened by the way, right? I rarely question God's love when it's just like life's fun and blessed. And they watch your business tailspin and die. 
And then listen to the soft whisper of the enemy going, man, does God, does God really love, if God really loved you, would he allow this? Walk out of an office where you've just been um, politely told you're fired. With the immediate thoughts of now I've got to walk through my front door and try to communicate this news to my spouse. And then listen to the soft whispers of the enemy. It goes, really? God loves you, huh? Hmm. wonder why God would allow that if he really loved you. Experience deep, awful, unbelievably hurtful relational betrayal that just sends you into a dark, dark place for a season. And your thoughts can go to a place of like, God, really, you love me, huh? then why am I here? Wake up and look in the mirror one day (laughs) and you're like, this wasn't the dream for my life. And very quickly, our fleshly minds can go to, God, do you really love me? I rarely question the love of God when everything's up and to the right and going great. There's something in our humanity that when the circumstances of our life are the opposite of that, that can quickly go to a place of questioning God's love. And this is where the people go. Really? You love us. Okay, God, let's talk about that whole Babylonian captivity thing. Let's talk about the fact that our city is absolute rubble and ruin. And we've had our ancestors have had to come back and rebuild it. And now let's talk about how we, ex- we had such high expectations for what this was supposed to be after this. And where are they, Lord? This is where these people are at. And this is where our hearts can get so quickly when we also feel like there's expectations that God has not met, though he's not acquired to. When dreams have been deferred, when betrayals happen, when awful things have happened. Now, um, here's what I want to say to us. It's the times we most want to question his love for us that we can often look back on and see the greatest expressions of his love towards us. How so? It's the times we most want to question his love that his love is great in growing us in holiness. Come on, folks, you know that. Go back right now. You never see it in the moment. You're never in the moment of awful situations, of hardship, of betrayal, of completely. You're never in the moment like, Lord, I totally see how you're growing me in holiness right now. Maybe some of you like really, really, really spiritual people can see it. And often though, come on, look back. Look back in your life. Look back at the times of the greatest sanctification and growth of your life. And look at the circumstances surrounding it. And you go, now, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for bringing me through that because you were making me more like your son, Jesus, through those trials. And it's an expression of God's great love and growing us in holiness. It's the times we most want to question his love that, secondly, his love is great in his presence drawing near to us. Come on, look back and think about it. Think about that dark spot. Think about those hard days. And say what so many Christians throughout the centuries have said. I wouldn't go back to the circumstances of it for anything. But man, would I taste the nearness of the presence of God in the midst of it. 
the love of God drawing near in those times through his presence. Thirdly, it's the times we most want to question his love, that his love is great and making us more dependent on him. Here's how this works, right? Right? Often hard things come about. The times we want to question God's love, here's what we've been doing. We've been leaning on something other than the Lord. We've been, maybe not other than, maybe just in addition to. There's something we've been leaning on, and God, out of his love for us, he comes and he kicks it out from underneath us. That puts you into a tailspin, a hard thing, dark days or whatever. But what God's doing to us, he's saying, stop leaning on that. Out of my love for you, I'm kicking that out because that's going to come out from under you one day anyway. And he's casting, drawing, uh, renewing a complete and wholehearted dependence back on him. And it's an expression of his love, even though it's so uncomfortable and painful to walk through when God kicks out from under us something we've been leaning on, right? And we can be just like these people who begin to want to question God's love because of the circumstances we find ourselves in when God is often communicating through those circumstances his love for us. Now look at what he says here. I've loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? And then he does something so odd in answering this. You would expect him to go, hey, look around right now. Look at all the cool circumstances. Look at the rebuild. Look at all this. It's not what he did. He doesn't go, hey, look around at all the current things I've done for you. He goes all the way to the past of the nation of Israel. And he says, you want to know how I love for you? Look at my covenant love for you. Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Okay. Declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau, I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom, Edom are the descendants from Esau, if Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear it down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now, who, when you're typically studying a prophet, would get to the end of the first five verses and go, yep, I'm lost. I loved you. How have you loved us? Jacob was Esau's brother. (laughs) What is going on here? Okay. God is declaring his love for his people by going all the way back to the beginning of the nation. And he's going to say, I've been faithful from the beginning. What's the beginning of the nation? Abraham had a son. His son was Isaac. Isaac had these twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the older. Jacob was the younger. But the older shall serve the younger. God establishes his covenant people with Jacob. And out of the line of Jacob comes, uh, he has 12 sons. These 12 sons turn into the 12 tribes of Israel. And out of the line of Jacob, you have the Israelites. Out of the line of Esau, you have these people called the Edomites. These who, this is who appears here. And so, uh, so God is saying, oh, you want to know how I've loved you? I have established a faithful covenant with you all the way back from the very beginning of your nation. 
And he says, do you want to know how I've established a covenant faithful love for you? Yes, I've disciplined you at times. Yes, other nations have been used as my discipline. But I've always restored you. I've always brought you back. I love you. And he says, if you need proof of that, look at the Edomites. Look at these descendants from Esau. All throughout the Old Testament, you'll see this battle between the Israelites and the Edomites. The Edomites were the ones who, when Israel was coming out of, the, uh, out of Egypt in the Exodus, they opposed them, said, you ain't coming through here. Those were the Edomites. Uh, the Edomites were the one who, when Babylon, Babylon came in and ransacked Israel, they're standing there. They're in the stands applauding it, cheering Babylon on. Here's something. King Herod the Great, who tried to have Jesus killed after he was born, a descendant of, you guessed it, the Edomites. These are people always throughout scripture, scripture in history opposed to the people and the way of God. And God says, you want to see my covenant faithful love for you? And then he compares it to what happened with Edom. Go back to verse 4. If Edom says, we're shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord's like, uh-uh. They might rebuild. They may build. But guess what? I'll tear it down again. And the Lord's like, my hand is against them. And all through this book, he's going to say, but look at how my covenant, faithful, loving hand has been with you. Do you want to know my great love for you? He goes, look back all the way to the beginning of your people. I established a covenant with you, and I will not break it. I am your God, and you are my people. And my faithfulness, my love for you will never change to communicate his faithful covenant, steadfast love for them, he goes all the way back to the beginning of the nation. And I want to say it like this, and then I want to tell us how this applies to us on the other side of the cross here today. Wake up, church. Wake up to the covenant, faithful, steadfast, unconditional love of God for you. You're like, yeah, you know, I think you tell us that every day at church. Yes, yes, I do. Why? Because all of the other application of this book will not be carried out by us until our hearts are enamored and understand that we have a heavenly Father who is covenant-keeping, faithfully, steadfastly, and unconditionally loving us. Now, how do we know this? How do we know this? Because we're, like, we're not in this time frame. We're not ancient Israelites right now. And we can't, like, okay, I, yeah, I want to know God's love for me. Like, let's get a telescope and look out at the land of Edom. Oh, yep, God's hand's against them. God's for us. Like, I know he loves me. How do we know that we have a covenant keeping steadfast, faithfully loving God? We know it also from something he did in history. And it's something we studied these last four weeks leading up to today. Do you want to know how we know and how we never have to answer like the Israelites did? Really, God, how have you loved us? We never have to wonder and question God's love for us because of his sacrifice and coming down and going to the cross and bearing my sin on the cross when he died my death and when he rose to life, I can rise to life with him as well. 
that is the event of history on this side of the cross, how we can know forever God's covenant, steadfast, unfailing, faithful love for his people. And so, yes, you might get fired one day. You never have to wonder in the midst of that if God loves you. He's declared it on the cross. Your business might tailspin and die. It is not an expression of God's lesser love for you. He's declared it once and for all on the cross. You might wake up one day and look in the mirror and go, this is not how I saw my life being. Guess what? If Jesus is with you, who cares? So you didn't accomplish some things on this earth. So you didn't meet some expectations. Here's the deal. It's earth. Lower your expectations. Because one day your expectations are going to be met in his glory. And you won't be thinking about it. 45, how I've just really failed in some things at life. You'll see him face to face and you'll go, yeah, baby. That's what it's about. You never have to question his love towards you. Dark days are coming. We don't preach a prosperity gospel here. To follow Jesus doesn't mean you just get rich and it's awesome and yay. No, dark days are coming. And the enemy is going to go, do you see these? How awful. God must not love you. And you'll go, shut up. Let me read you something. And you'll go to the Gospels and you'll read the account of the crucifixion and you'll read the account of the people running to the empty tomb and the angel going, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And you're going to go, my God loves me. Shut up, Satan. You never have to question it. I have loved you, says the Lord. And the temptation of his people at times is to go, really, God, look around. How have you loved us? May our answer be, God, I know you have. Even in hard, dark times, I know you have. Because you took my place on a cross and you died the death I deserve to live and you rose to life that if I'll put my faith in you, I'll rise to life with you. I have loved you, says the Lord. And all God's people say, stand up, church. Let's get ready to worship. But I just wonder as we, uh, as we get ready to worship, just if you would, just I want to pray for us and just close your eyes, bow your head. Let's get ready to worship and just time of worship through prayer, time of worship through singing, but um, as you get ready, I just wonder um, if there's anyone in here who might say today, yeah, uh, I, I've, ne- I've known a lot of religious activity, but I don't think I've ever known Jesus in relationship. I've known that God loves me in theory, but I've never accepted his love for me by placing uh, my faith in Jesus Christ. Just if, if you're here and you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, just raise your hand. That God might just give you boldness right here. Got one. Back in the back. Just put your hand up boldly and just say, yeah, I've, I've yeah, all, oh, oh, cool. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm not going to give you a rote routine to pray, but here's what the Bible does tell you. If you raise your hand here today, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so you say something to God right now in your seat. It doesn't have to be audible. He hears you. And you tell him, Lord Jesus, today I see my sin. I see that I've tried to be good through a lot of religious things, but that I can't be good on my own. 
Lord Jesus, I'm casting my dependence on you today. Come save me. I hear that you love me. And I hear you're my God. I want to be your child. You lift that up to the Lord today right there in your seat. And if you have, if you've trusted Christ today, a couple things on that note. Before you leave, tell someone you came with. Why? Why? Uh, because uh, this is a community effort. We can't walk with Jesus alone. You can tell someone you came with. There's a next steps table. Stop by. We're going to have some of our elders up here. Dan, I'm going to have you up here. JC and Teresa up here on the side. Uh, Larry, make yourself available up here. I'll be up here in the middle. You want to come tell us and feel, well, how, do, how does this work now? How do I walk with Jesus now? We'll help you with that. Father God, thank you for what you've done in our midst here today. You said right at the beginning of this book, I love you, says the Lord. And we don't want to ever be people who, because of circumstances in life, who question that love for you. We want to always, eyes fixed on the cross, say, I know you loved us, Lord, because you died for me and you rose again for me. God, would we carry that as the banner over our week as we prepare our, our, our hearts for what you have for us in this series. God, do a great work in our hearts. In the powerful name of Jesus.